Yeah, and I was a copywriter, creative guy. You know, it was the dream. You know, you think it would be the dream just showing up at 10 and putting your feet up and kicking around ideas. And, you know, like Budweiser was one of our clients at the ad agency. So it was free beer, you know, um, everyone's wearing T-shirts and joking right. around. But again, you know, it's it's the grass is always greener on the other side. And after a while, um, I... Uh, I made a pretty big pivot from there as well. Um, I joined the army. Hey guys, I'm Joe Jordan from the Jordan Report and you're watching Folks Alert. Folks alert, my name is Kiko. My guest today is Joe Jordan from the Jordan Report. Joe, how are you, sir? Hey, Kiko. Doing well, man. How are you? Hey, listen, we, we have a lot to cover. I am doing fine. Uh, and finally, we got we got to do this. Yep. H how have you been, man? Been good, you know, just trying to keep my head above water. There's a lot coming in. So, uh, yeah, a lot to talk about. Listen, uh, prior to us talking, right, when, when I saw your content on, um, on TikTok, then I went to your Instagram page and started following you. And after we, you know, we spoke, I would have never thought you had such a diverse background, right? From where you started out in your career and did this complete jump. Okay. <laughs> Just like, I'm like, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Why? Yeah, a couple big jumps. Yeah, you think a couple huge jump? Well, yeah. Tell me, man. Uh, you're from New Jersey. Well, you're from New York. Lived in New Jersey, right? Correct me if I'm from, wrong. From from New Jersey. Lived in New York, but yeah. From New Jersey, work in New York. Let's just say that. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, you're back. You have a background in finance. Yeah, I started off, uh, I was pretty young working on Wall Street mm -hmm. and then um, didn't take long before I realized that really wasn't for me. Um, so I did a hard pivot, like you said, pretty big jump and went into advertising as a copywriter. What kind of what kind of ads were you writing, if you don't mind me asking? No, no. I mean, it was like you know my the big tv spot i got produced when i was there i wasn't i wasn't there for very long but like it was like a big you know tv commercial for duracell i was writing you know tweets for mercedes-benz and 
Listerine and all the big brands you know and all that content that no one cares about. Okay. All right. You go from working on Wall Street, and I guess it, it, Wall Street really wasn't your thing. Your, your dad was into Wall Street. That that was his. That's where he started out, and you just yeah. He helped. You know, kind of like yeah. I mean, that was where I had the opportunity. You know, to to get my foot in the door, and then kind of earn my spot. Um, but I was working on the stock exchange actually in the on, summer on, of two thousand eight. Yep. I was on the floor in 2008 when, you know, the shit hit the fan and mm -hmm. that obviously changed the game a little bit. But to be honest, even if that wasn't the case, it was not really a great environment. Um, just it looked like a very unfulfilling existence, a lot of late nights and these guys didn't have good relationships with their wives and families. I mean, not obviously. I'm not speaking for everyone in finance, uh, but right. just the area I was in was was just uh, the novelty wore off after a little bit. When and I so, think, yeah. When, so I, I, when I think of Wall Street, working on Wall Street, and I'm thinking of guys in suits, right? I've seen videos of these guys on the floor trading stocks and stuff. Mm -hmm. it, it looks very complicated, but I guess is if you've been doing it for a while, you get to understand it. Uh, do you think the relationship, why, I guess, working long hours, that job, one can say is stressful, right? Yeah, it's definitely stressful. It was just the, where I was working, it was a lot of like entertaining clients frankly. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're going out a lot, you know, you have to do these big dinners all the time, you're exhausted. And um, I've always been kind of a creative guy. And there was obviously no room for being creative. You know, I think if I was working for a hedge fund or something like that, I probably would have stayed. But right. Um, you know, the chips landed where they did. And, and I got sick of it pretty quick. Cool. You leave Wall Street, you go to copywriting yep yeah i went to uh i went into a program for copywriting a school uh to build a portfolio so i could get a job at one of the top agencies uh, which i ended up doing and um yeah and i was a copywriter creative guy you know it was the dream you know you think it would be the dream just showing up at 10 and putting your feet up and kicking around ideas and you know like budweiser was one of our clients at the ad agency so there's free beer you know um everyone's wearing t-shirts and joking right. around but again you know it's it's the grass is always greener on the other side and after a while um i uh i made a pretty big pivot from there as well um i joined the army huge pivot what was that like basic training basic training is uh yeah it's not particularly fun uh, especially for someone like me i was 27 so i was an old man they, they they called me dad in the barracks all the kids it was pretty frustrating um you know i was so used to consume i just have always been someone who consumes a lot of information every day mm -hmm. um which is what i ended up you know as the jordan report ended up being an outlet for that but um being in basic training you know you're cut off from the outside world so 
the one thing I didn't anticipate was just not knowing what was going on really kind of ate at me and obviously being away from the people I love and getting barked at, you know, doing push-ups all day, that, that kind of stuff. But it was good. Um, you know, I joined the army for a lot of reasons and I, I think it was the right call. I, I think I needed it at that point in time. But when you, when you look at your career, uh, from wall street to, to add, to, to the army, everything that you've done is the Jordan report, dude. Oh yeah, <laughs> it, it is because what, what you're doing now is just giving people information. Same. It, it worked for you because you're, you're writing. You, I can tell in the writing when you do the Jordan report, right? Uh, the military, you're kind of, uh, something that you've already been into. You can talk about, you know, what's going on in the world right and finance yeah I, a lot of the yeah, finance yeah. stuff happens when we look at the market i was going to tell you like when we talk you, you know i said to you there's a lot of uncertainty in the market and in the world right but mm -hmm. I, as i was coming for this interview today there is no uncertainty we know exactly what's going on shit is shit is ugly out there it's it's ugly right yeah we, it's uncertainty if we don't know what's going on but we have a pretty much it's in our face what's going on. It's falling apart. Yeah, it is, uh, it, you know, top level. But I would say, you know, if you know exactly what's going to happen, then you should start trading the stock market. Right. Because <laughs> just look what's happened in the last, you know, month is the markets rallied a lot. And it's 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 hard. It's it's really hard to, to you know, there's a difference between knowing what's going to happen and knowing when it's going to happen. Right. Right. So there's a saying in, in, in finance where, you know, if you're early, you might as well be wrong. And I think over my personal career, you know, cause I was, I've been trading, you know, my own little portfolio ever since I was 18 and, um, I've been consistently too early and the, the system at large has proven to be much more resilient than I thought it would be, you know? So, I, I've gotten to a place where I don't, you know, I don't assume the wheels are going to come off uh, next week, next month or ever at this point, you know, so I, I, I uh, the market is, is a, is a, will teach you hard lessons that way. But we can, we can agree that there is a, there's been a great shift in the market and finance, even on, in politics, on the global scale, there's been a shift. We all, yeah, we, no, we've seen a shift. Yeah, I mean, you know, the market and politics are, you know, two sides of the same coin in a lot of respects. And, you know, we are seeing the shift away from a unipolar world where the U.S. is a clear hegemon. Um, you know, the dollar, you know, is the unquestioned king, which are both still true today as we speak. But we are starting to see kind of cracks and chinks in the armor of that old world order. And yeah, you know, you have to prepare and um, accordingly to the changing of the times. And that's the thing is it's always changing, right? So it's never static. Things are always popping up and shifting around. Okay. Let me, let me throw this at you. Okay. You said the dollar has been king, undisputed king for a while. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm looking to Russia 
uh, I'm, I'm seeing the relationship with North Korea. China is in the fold, major player. Yep. Uh, Brazil is joining alliance. South Africa, they, they're shaking hands. Yep. We're seeing, granted, we, we kind of view those countries as countries that has democracy, right? But they were built on a social government, all of them. Yeah, I mean, not all of them are, you know, China is certainly not a democracy. Um, you know, Russia has elections, but I don't think anyone would accuse them of democracy. Um, I, I left out South Africa in, when, I, when I made that video on the, on the BRICS alliance, and I got a lot of heat for that. But Why, why did you leave? I, I, I was surprised that you left South Africa because I was... Well, it wasn't intentional. Well, actually, I... I I actually mentioned it kind of like right after that line and I was like, oh, and South Africa. But, you know, when you're trying to fit a, a pretty large story into 90 seconds, uh, my <laughs> my producer was like, hey, we, we got to cut this out. And I was like, all right. But the reason why I didn't mention it in the first go is because I was talking about oil, like large oil producing countries right. and large populations being, uh, you know, India and china and with the potential for saudi arabia and iran to join the alliance the point i was making at that time was now you have a few of the largest oil producing nations and half of the global population and that's why i mentioned it and to be and just listen i love south africa i've been uh i know some south africans they're awesome people but the reality is that south africa has a tiny economy and is not a super relevant player on the global stage so I Sorry, would dis I would disagree with you. Here is why I would okay. disagree with you, because if you want to get into Africa, you have to deal with South Africa, because they're more modern, more the African nation go to them. They're like the United States of of the uh, the African continent, right? They, yeah, kind of people kind of African countries kind of lean to them. So I can see why they would join. Why China stepped to them because it, it's an easier play or am I looking at it the wrong way? No, I mean, that's, you know, there's probably some truth to that. Um, I didn't, you know, I don't, wouldn't say that they're irrelevant period. It was more of irrelevant in the context of large, you know, superpowers, but you know, no, China that, that has been not. making that, that they're not, but right. And that was my, the kind of point I was making is you have Saudi Arabia and India which is India is already in the BRICS alliance. Saudi Arabia is flirting with the BRICS alliance. And between the two of them, with China already in there, you have, a, you know, half, almost half of the global population would then be in the BRICS alliance. And then a major, you know, if Saudi Arabia is in, then so goes basically OPEC as they kind of move as a block. So that would be a tectonic shift in the power balance. And that was pretty much what I was speaking to. So I didn't mean to how, diss how, South how, Africa there. Okay. What are the conversation the United States are having? Because granted, you know, if the, if that play goes as we're seeing, as that play that goes into play, okay, we still have the rest of the world, the West, that is still a factor. Yeah. No. I mean, look, the I think the you know the the crux of that video was about this shifting you know, dynamic, mm -hmm. but I think that what I see online 
the the hype around what they're calling de-dollarization, um, which is kind of the, the dollar losing its status as global reserve currency, in my opinion, is quite overblown. Um, just for example, the Chinese yuan is only 6% of global trade. Uh, the Swiss franc actually trades more volume internationally than the yuan. So it's, you know, it's not, it's not going to happen overnight or anytime soon. Um, you know, the, what's funny is the most likely candidate to replace the dollar as the reserve currency is the euro, believe it or not, because I was, I was just about to say that to you, we, we've left out the pound and the euro. Yeah, be, you know, because the the idea of a reserve currency is stability. Right. And we have, you know, in this last video I made, um, which started about the TikTok bill, but went on to this kind of a general the uh, theory that, you know, we are shooting ourselves in the foot most of, you know, for the most part. It's not like these countries are taking things from us. We're giving them away. And, you know, for the dollar and its status as a reserve currency, you know, however you stand on the war in Ukraine, the fact is when we seized Russia's U.S. Treasury holdings, we basically just stole dollars from them uh, and we cut them out of the SWIFT banking network. And that sent a big warning flare up to all the other countries out there that use dollars in the reserve currency to say, hey, if one day in the future you get on the wrong side of the United States, your dollars aren't safe, you know? And I think right. that was, that was probably not talked about enough. It, that, that move was very significant because these countries, you know, they're on, it's, it's not a safe haven, uh, so to speak. Um, and then obviously on the other side of the coin, you have all the money printing and inflation, um, which also erodes our, you know, reserve currency status. The United States is going to federal now. I think it's federal Fed now. They they are Fed now. Fed now. They're creating their own currency, mm -hmm. which I, I think it's smart, right? Because seeing what the smart for who? <laughs> you know, it's Listen, not I, Jordan. Our money is already digital. Sure, but it can be converted into cash. Fed now can't. And importantly, you know, the banks hold your money and there's, there's, there's obviously a relationship between the banks and the federal and the reserve, right? But with this system, and I haven't really, really gone into the weeds of exactly how it works. I obviously understand top level what, what they're trying to do. But from my understanding is you're going to have something akin to what China has, where, you know, the government can basically just take money right out of your account. Um, or freeze your account, you know, and bypass the banks. Um, it, it's for me, the Fed now system, the digital currency one, you, you've lost all privacy. And, you know, and you're just it's just a loss of freedom, really. Well, from from what I understand, from from what I've read, mm -hmm. the feds don't want to be the bank. They don't want to deal with 3 million customers. They don't want anyone to call on them at 3 o'clock at night customer service. They're trying to figure out who would be in charge of dealing with that. So, but 
one of the concerns is the banks, they're going to be cut out of business. So the Fed is trying to figure out a way to keep them in business. That, that's yeah, what, I mean, that's from my understanding. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe yeah, something we, that they're playing around with. Yeah, I, you know, obviously the ACH, you know, wire system is ancient and not a very effective way of, of, of transferring money. Um, but what I don't like is I've seen some rationale from the government about Fed now saying that it's, you know, something to do with the climate. So, you know, if you want to put on your tinfoil hat, you can think, all right, well, are they going to limit your air travel you know, or count your carbon points and turn off your, you know, spigot when you're using too much? Now, obviously, anything remotely, here's the good part, is anything, when this actually comes to a head, they're going to have a hard time convincing the U.S. population to get on board if it has any of that in there, you know? So I, I'm i not like a doomsday kind right. of guy about it. Right. I don't, I don't think, I don't think like a totalitarian digital currency is going to pass the muster because you have a lot of, you know, Republican senators and governors who aren't going to stand by and, you know, their people will start screaming at the top of their lungs. Well, where I live, in Florida, my governor is saying no, and he's encouraging right. other governors to, to get on board to reject it. Yeah. I well, mean, look, they tried to do a digital currency in Japan and no one used it. It was a complete failure. So, you know, I am watching it. I've been watching it. This is the, the central bank digital coin is what they're you know been calling it. It's been in the talks for a long time. Um, Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, tried to slip it in at the end of a press conference recently, and it, you know, it did not go unnoticed. So I, I feel I was going to do a video on it, but there's enough coverage. The the, the conversation is happening um, all over the place. So I'm just watching that one from afar. Here's what I want to talk to you about. Also, um, we are both on TikTok, right? Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, you know. I'm not on it to the point where if it goes away, I'm concerned. But here's what I'm concerned about. This Restrict Act, right? Yeah. Uh, it, you covered it a little bit. Unpack this for me. Yeah, so, you know, basically the Restrict Act is ostensibly a bill put forward to ban TikTok, but... TikTok's not even mentioned in there. And it's so vaguely worded that really they could use this bill to justify all sorts of internet censoring and monitoring that we don't want. It, it will fundamentally change the, the open internet that, that we have right now. And it would make it, again, like China. I mean, that was the point of that video was like, why are we trying to be like China, this is our one thing that they can't ever have is freedom. And it's the reason why everyone wants to move here is because we have freedom. And I, you know, I got a lot of people in the comments saying about, oh, you think we're free here in America? Yeah, I get it. But we're a lot more free than everyone lot, else. Right. A lot more free. Yeah. It's like, you know, we're like the best looking guy in the leper colony. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you don't want to 
I, I, I you, went. You don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. Right. No, we don't. I went and I looked up the bill. This, this bill here was uh, drafted. The author of this bill is uh, Senate Mark Warren. Uh, mm-hmm. And when I, me and you were talking before we started re- record, but he's a he's the head. He's the chairman of the the. Um, I think uh, the commerce, the, the commerce act or something like that. But when I was uh, talking to you before we started recording, and I asked you, do you think he's writing these bills or his aide? Because yeah, no, they don't. The actual, they don't actually write. This guy didn't write a single word of that. You Some, know, he's got his, someone he, authored this bill. He signed off yeah. on it as the author. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he certainly did. Um, and you know, this thing's not, this thing's not going to pass either because luckily we have an well, open they, internet where we got, can they discuss got, they and got, talk they have about Biden support the white house supporting this. Yeah, of course. I mean, look, this would give the government a lot of control, a lot more control. It's similar to the Patriot act, except, how you so? know, in this, go ahead. How so? Oh, how so? Well, it's just a bill that is on the face value, something can that everyone can get on board with. In the, in the case of the Patriot Act, it was, we want to stop terrorists. Um, but they included a bunch of stuff which seriously inhibited our freedoms and, you know, eroded our privacy as free Americans. Um, but at least that was... You know, at least in that case, you could make an argument where, like, well, we we can't stop. You know, we, we're this is really going to increase our effectiveness at catching terrorists. And I think you can make that argument with the Patriot Act. However, with this bill, there is plenty of ways you can ban TikTok that don't require what they're trying to do with the Restrict Act. I mean, you could ban the App Store from listing it, which is what they do in India, mm-hmm. and they've they have a hundred Chinese apps that aren't in India. And they're doing just fine. Also, I mean, the FTC or the Commerce <laughs> Department, they can block the access, that app being coming in or stop people from accessing that app in the United States based upon the IP, right? That, that's possible. Well, I, would, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I, I would make it unavailable in the app store and it's just done. Or you could, you know, or you could make it illegal to for them to make money and then it would be done. But to say that you can't access, you know, or say you can't access TikTok, TikTok specifically, TikTok. But okay, they didn't say, do that. You're saying saying that in the bill. Those, those yeah, words, saying, have, having those verbiage in the bill. Being specific. So the gotcha. bill is vague, right? And so they've created this new category where, you know, it's it's something that's owned by a foreign adversary or it's something that's, you know, against the national interest or defense or what have you. And, you know, you can't access and it, it penalizes us rather than penalizes TikTok. Mm-hmm. And then they're, you know, they're trying to get around people who use VPNs, right? So they would make, you know, it's, and they, they put a serious crime to it. You know, it's a million dollar fine or 20 years in jail. So it's, it's just look, it doesn't pass the sniff test. It's not a good idea. It's a slippery slope. And all it would take is some clever prosecutor down the line to apply this, these same, the same framework that's in the restrict act to ban something else. Mm -hmm. I'll go for that. I'll go for that. 
here's another thing that we need we want to cover listen we we got a lot to go through but we, we're not going to get to everything but i want to talk to you about this ukraine thing right a lot of a lot of our money has gone to ukraine mm. uh I, I saw a, a clip i don't know if i saw it from you that they're saying that Zelensky, am i pronouncing his name right Zelensky. Zelensky is is mm-hmm. and his top general are skimping money from the USA, millions of dollars. The CIA and a lot of the agencies here they know about it. Mm. We're not doing anything about it. No. Uh, I mean, can, well, can here's the refund? thing. Yeah, well, the thing here's the thing about that. Most people didn't know where you know couldn't point to Ukraine on a map before 2022, and if you you can go back and find dozens and dozens of articles from all of these you know new york times washington post the journal all railing against ukraine for the last decade about how it was the most corrupt country in the world how it had a huge nazi problem and then Fast forward to 2022, and it's Slava Ukraini, you know, they're the good guys, but it's a hopelessly corrupt country. And, you know, in these leaked papers that just came out, it seems that they have been skimming to the tune of $400 million. And, you know, I, what, what's, the only thing that's surprising to me is that anyone would be shocked by this. Listen, you, as you mentioned, Ukraine is very corrupt. I was making the argument that, okay, fine. No one wants to sit around and watch someone else get bullied. Okay? Yeah. Right? No one. But I was like, when Putin went and annexed Crimea, they didn't do anything. So why is it our business now? When he's marching his army across the country, what do we care? They didn't, didn't they didn't do anything when he took that piece of line. Obama did nothing, so why why are we so interested in it now? Well, that's that's a can of worms, but you know we basically, and this is just my take, is we want to have a ally on Russia's border. And Poland. Poland. It's close the more, the, it's close the more, yeah, the, the more border, the better. Um, and here's something, you know, that m- may even get this video flagged, but we have a whole bunch of bio labs in Ukraine as well. And there's a whole rotten can of worms there that, you know, I don't even know if you want to open that one up, but there is a lot of vested interest. Uh, the Biden family is, has been, Basically, you know, the theory goes they've been laundering money through the Ukrainian government since the Obama administration, and they don't want that pipeline to cease, and they don't want all of that dirty laundry being aired out. So, you know, it's strategically important uh, from a military standpoint, but it's it's the way I see it. It's not like they care about Ukraine as much as they care about what supporting them right now does for us. And so it's it's not like oh they you know they care so much about Ukraine it's it's no it's you know we're giving them all of this military equipment we're giving them Th- that they can't use 
that they can't use. It's old stuff. It was decommissioned and we're putting a brand new price tag on it as if we're giving them all this stuff. And then they're all loans that they have to pay back. And we're putting, you know, all like, let's just say it's a, you know, an M4 rifle that's 20 years old. Right. We're charging them what it cost when it was brand new. And that's for every bullet tank rifle, you know, rocket launcher that we give them. You know, it's it's very Machiavellian. And, you know, to think that we're doing this out of the kindness of our hearts is just childish. Okay. The equipment is old. They can't use it because they're not techie savvy or equipped or trained on this equipment to use it. All right. Well, no, I would say it's just old. I mean, well, they're taking. It, no, I I agree. I would agree with you. It is all equipment. And I'm when I say that they can't use it, I'm saying that, yes, it's old. But this is equipment that they've never been trained on. We've not only got to give them the equipment, but we have to train them on the equipment. OK. Yeah. But the war is still going poorly. What does that say about Russia? Because I would have thought that Russia, this would have been a you know, cakewalk over, done with. Why are we still here a year into the war? Why is well, Russia if the struggling? Russian, the Russians, if the Russians were just fighting the Ukrainians, this war would have ended in a fortnight. <laughs> but they're not. They're right. fighting us. And, you know, they're fighting us up until the point until, but there's a Ukrainian pulling the trigger instead of an American. That's it. We're doing all their equipment, all of their ammo, all of their logistics, all of their battle planning, everything we're giving them intel we're give, we're doing everything except for pulling the trigger so and that's kind of the unsaid tragedy of this whole thing is you know apparently the ukrainians have lost north of 400,000 people so far and you know they're being they're just pawns in a big power political struggle and they're caught in the middle so i really feel bad for them when i look back at history joe uh if you aligned yourself with my enemy, that was pretty much the premise of World War One and Two. If you align yourself with my enemy, therefore we have you have a problem with me too, mm -hmm. right? It, it, I mean that's how it goes. Why hasn't Russia taken that position? Because if you know the United States are helping them and we're giving them weapons, we're giving them intel. Russia's been pretty civil in this whole war situation. Well, you know, I think the U.S. is, you know, we're, we're like masters of taking it up to that point and then not crossing the line. Um, but, you know, Russia has been making moves that are not like military in nature uh, to weaken us. And that's you see that with the overtures to Xi Jinping, um, you know, their overtures to India, and they're trying to solidify an alternative global economic paradigm away from the U.S. And I think I saw a report the other day that, you know, we have this, we're like sanctioning everyone by sanctioning Russia, right? So we're, we're, we have our thumb on Europe and our Asian allies saying, all right, you need to play ball because we have this thing we're doing in Ukraine and you can't buy Russian oil, you know, above a certain price. Right. And a, apparently Japan just bought a bunch of oil above that price because, you know, there's only so long that these countries are going to play ball until they say, hey, we got to look out for our own people. And that's evidenced 
as well with Macron, the president of France, just Correct. went over to China and openly said, hey, maybe maybe just following the U.S.'s lead wherever they take us is not the best play. He's he's and that he's was out of, he's out of pocket. Right. Right. He's not. That, well, Joe, you Joe, know, he, that Joe, he's out of pocket. Come on, Joe. You got to agree. He's out. He's way out of pocket. Well, who's suffering from this war? Not Joe, us. Joe, Joe. France, yeah. of all people, should know better. OK. He's tripping. Well, look. Yeah. I mean, the thing is about Macron, that was extremely whether it was whether he's out of pocket or not. That was extremely, extremely significant. So I, I, you know, I'm an observer. I don't really take sides per right. se. Um, you know, I can understand where the motivations behind all parties involved. And, you know, Macron, he's, you know, the Europeans, it's just, look, at some point, the Europeans and the Asian allies and certainly India and these other players who are affected by this are going to say, you know, is it worth it for our people to keep dancing to this tune that the U.S. is playing? And, you know, I understand where they're coming from because Macron isn't the president of France and the U.S. He's the president of France. And they're like rioting in the streets like every other week over there. Correct. So he's trying to he's trying to release some pressure at home and by signaling that, you know, maybe the U.S. monolithic regime is not the best option. He's signaling to everyone else that, like, OK, maybe we start thinking for ourselves. I mean, look at Germany. We bombed their pipeline. We bombed Germans pipeline and. You know, that is was, a key piece of infrastructure. That's an act was, of war. It was an accident. Yeah, right. The, the, Listen, you're, the, you're the observer. I just ask yeah. questions, Joe. And I'm what, and from where you're sitting, I'm sure you've observed that Macron is overplaying his hand. That you have to be observing about. This, well, I don't know if he is. I mean, you know, it's. It's look, it's clearly gotten to a point. I don't know if he is or not. That'll be, you know, the answer to that will shake out over time. The question is for him, you know, we we totally pulled the rug from out from under their feet for a massive submarine purchase from mm -hmm. Australia right. that they were supposed to have. And so he's like, what am I getting for supporting the US endlessly? And over time, if they're not getting a good deal out of a partnership with the U.S., then they're going to start looking in other places. So I understand where he's coming from. Do I think it was the smart move? I, you know, probably, probably not. But it's it's not obviously not. Also, well, here here is here is what I think. Okay, he's already have problems in the streets. Is you know rioting every week mm -hmm. or whatever he's got go. I don't know what he's got going on. People, I, I think that the rioting start when he when he raised the 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 retirement the pension, age, yeah. the pension or something that he's got going on. I think it's time for change of government over there, and uh, the United States is is masterful of doing that. And it's yeah, time that's for our him, favorite and it, game. And it's time for him to go. And I think he'll be going pretty soon. Yeah, well, observe, I mean that's. <laughs> I mean, 
Yeah, I, look, you know, that's one of the biggest hip, hypocritical parts about the whole self-determination of government thing. No one is better than us at determining other countries' governments. <laughs> you know, that's our favorite thing to do. Um, right, right. And look, here's the thing, it, like my general take on it is this isn't a Marvel movie right? There's no good guys and bad guys. It's just a huge mess of countries who are all looking out for themselves. And it's a game of power and it's a game of influence. And if the European bloc starts to see an alliance with the US as less advantageous than a move, maybe a half step closer to Russia and the BRICS, if that secures their place in the world, better, then that's the direction they'll go. So the real question is, is what should we do to avoid that? Because I don't want to lose the Europeans as much as the next guy. You know, they're Western democracies, you know, the, the liberal order. And I think that is a force for good in the world as, as much of a joke as it may be. It's still better than, you know, dictatorships. So I think we should do everything in our power you know, to not push Europeans away. You know, you could say Macron is out of pocket, but it's maybe it's us who are out of pocket for kind of forcing his hand. <laughs> I like, I, I, okay, I, I, nice, nice, nice play, Joe. Nice, okay, well, here's what, here's what I'm going to say. Uh, okay. I, on all serious notes, I agree with everything that you're saying, but, you know, when we look at Europe, we more look to the UK, right? The UK sure. is pretty much is the one that's really calling the play over there in Europe. Wherever, well, the UK, wherever the UK leans, that's where most of Europe is going to follow. Well, the UK is not in the EU anymore, so that's kind of important. Well, they left, you know, yes. the UK, Brexit. they left. So they are they are an island over there. Obviously, they're closely aligned, but, but that's the a, reason they why they have a lot of influence, though. Sure. Yeah. The UK. But but us in the UK are very tight. So like they're they're They've got special forces guys over there in Ukraine running amok just like we do. We're going to have to. We're gonna so they're, you know, they're 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 they're. Yeah, What's so, that? So we're gonna have to come back to this conversation. Listen, everyone's got an invested interest over there in Ukraine, and everyone maybe might be a little stressed about what's going on or where this war is going. A little concerned, right? So, sure. um, but I think the UK is the, is the easiest play because they've got a lot of influence and, and closely tied to the U, to to the EU. So, we're gonna have to watch and see. I still say well, Macron. I still say Macron is out of pocket, not us. No, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it's an either or situation. You know, I'd say we're probably both out of pocket. But, you know, I would say that we have more influence over EU than the UK does. Just because of the size of our economy and the size of our military, we are the ones who dictate the terms. You know, we're the A side. And right. so we, we, we wield a lot of power on the international stage and we use that to further our own self-interests. And here's going back to the de-dollarization theme. 
one of the reasons why we are eroding our own reserve currency status is because we've been using that uh, reserve currency status as a weapon. And, you know, over time, we, we, you can only do that so much before countries are just going to get tired of it. Right. So the UK, UK doesn't have that, you know, they don't, they don't have that mantle. And so this is really, it's, it's ours to lose. Definitely. Joe Jordan, great conversation. I love it. We got to do this more Kiko. often. We got to do yeah, this more often. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. We got to do this more often. Joe yeah, Jordan. I could rant the... for a long time. <laughs> Listen, we got we to do this more often. The jo uh, the Jordan Report, I love it. Um, I enjoy the conversation. Uh, I am looking forward to more of these conversation. Uh, anything else before we go? No, man. Thanks for having me, and uh, I'd be happy to come back on. Dig that, dig that, dig that. Joe Jordan, thank you very much, sir. All right. See you, man. I will do.